Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Hey, and thanks for listening in to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and I am pleased to be joined by Jennifer Knapp. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it is afternoon where I am, and it looks like where you are, too. So, hello, welcome. Uh, Jennifer means Knapp I should probably... is a... Sorry, I just I was thinking, well, if it's afternoon, I should probably get out of my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment here. This is only audio. Uh, Jennifer is a Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, author, speaker, and advocate. Her impressive history includes selling over one million albums with her first three releases, Kansas, Lay It Down, and The Way I Am. She's earned four Dove Awards and two Grammy nominations. Uh, she's from Kansas and has toured with Jarja Clay... Uh, featured on the Little Faith Tour, and uh, according to L.A. Times, has been called a rising star, and by People Magazine, an uncommonly literate songwriter. Songwriter. So that's all I can handle reading, Jennifer. So anything else you want to say? <laughs> oh, no, you you pretty much got it. Uh, I think that quote from the, the Times about being an uncommon, or what is a rising star, happened about 20 yeah. years ago, so I don't know what happened to oh. the star. <laughs> Have you crashed since then? No, it's just, you know, I, I've been, you know, after 20 years of doing this, uh, I think the, and I think even the the part of it that I, I, when the, I think it's maybe indicative of the way that I started, I never really kind of anticipated that I would have a career, let alone one mm. that's, you know, spanned a, a few decades. And so I'm grateful for it, but at the same time, I've never really been kind of, uh, wooed, I said, I guess, by trying to be, you know, famous or necessarily kind of working towards, you know, popularity or acc accolades. So, I mean, it's, in fact, that's kind of a weird thing whenever I sit and people kind of read through the resume of what my career has been like. And I'm like, especially in these COVID times where I'm sitting around in my pajamas way more than I yeah. need to. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I've done some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I was talking to someone recently kind of on this topic of how, you know, 20, 30 years ago, people kind of stumbled into fame, especially in like the evangelical Christian world. And now it's so much easier just to kind of like pursue fame through social media prowess. What do you, I'm already jumping in here. I mean, what do you make of that? I'm, I'm curious if you've ever given any thought to that. Well, I mean, there's, there's two, two kind of things I think about when you bring it up. I mean, the first is that, I mean, even when I started, you know, back in the, the late nineties, you know, I, I, I think history, you know, if we get the the benefit of hindsight, like that mm -hmm. was about the time that Christian music itself as a genre was starting to kind of come into its own and yeah. the the um the business of it as well was starting, you know, firmly starting to establish itself. Um Christian labels were getting bought up by mainstream distributors as well. So, I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I mean, I don't I, I'm no by no means a historian, but I I think that you know, definitely Christian music has, has 
established itself as an industry and something as if you wanted to get into that profession, it's definitely something that you can get into that profession now where, mm. um, and I, I think that was a little bit of the, the impression that I got, you know, back in the late nineties, which was, you know, I'd never really heard of Christian music before. I didn't aspire to do it. And I think a lot of my peers were somewhat of the same. We were musicians participating in our local churches or, mm-hmm. um, in various you know different ways that we were expressing our faith and i think coffee houses were starting to to come up and we were starting to able be able to tour so you know the emergence of that genre as you know a profession i felt was kind of like i felt like i was starting to i didn't know it at the time but i what i didn't realize is that i was starting to be involved in something that that had a career opportunity Hmm. um but I think in terms of like where we are now <laughs> with social media and the fact that, you know, we can basically anybody can set up a studio yeah, at home. Yeah. yeah. It just takes a little bit of money. It takes a little bit of wherewithal to be able to kind of know how to market yourself. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, in a, you know, it'll be interesting. I'm, I've been out of Christian music for a while. Um, but as I've talked to a few friends that have been inside that industry, it's really interesting now because especially when you, when you take on, um, the idea that if you want to express something about your faith, getting past the gatekeepers or having the right thing to say may limit your opportunities to be able to express what you want to express. So there's this other option of being able to kind of run your own business, so to speak, and to be able to, to be an artist on your own terms and talk about the issues on your own terms and then pick up opportunities as they advance commercially. Yeah. <laughs> um, as soci- anywhere, you know, we see this in Instagram and a variety of things, right? People mm-hmm. doing, you know, makeup to right. uh, fashion tips to anything like that. You don't necessarily have to go for the corporate giant in order to have a career anymore. So I think that's really interesting. Um, and in some ways have, have been a benefit to me, I think, in, in being able to have you know personally to have the 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 opportunities that i've had in the last 10 years but at the same time it's um it's a lot more hustle (laughs) i'll put it that way yeah Yeah, i spent a lot of my time feeling like i've got a hustle to make ends meet and that's not necessarily bad but it's just different yeah well what is you know talk talk i kind of uh jumped in a little bit soon but let me get back to you introducing you more talk a little bit to our listeners about what it meant for you to be a Christian in the past and uh, how your journey has been since then. <laughs> yeah, you, you'd mentioned that we'd go there yeah. uh, it, prior to the thing, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, you know, in the past, you know, I got into Christianity uh, as a relatively late bloomer. Uh, I was a college convert, if you will. So mm. a lot of my friends in and around university were Christians, and um, I. I was really curious about and and started to participate in my faith community. And I, I think at the time, I didn't really know what I was in store for, mm. but it was a genuine curiosity about getting to know God. And I definitely resonated with the, the, the story of Jesus um, to such an extent that in the evangelical terms, I got saved. Right, right. right. So... Uh, and it's if you can't tell when I bring that story up, I get a little bit uncomfortable with it because in this day and age, it has so much baggage, yeah. um, so much anticipation of what people 
think or expect to see from me when I would make a claim now, or if I were to make a claim now of I am a Christian, right? Mm -hmm. It it tells you perhaps a lot about how I vote, how I treat people and the way I view the world, which may not necessarily be indicative of the long story that I've had in my faith. Um, So, I mean, these days I I definitely use, I, I would definitely say Christianity is my the language of my faith <laughs> is mm. the, about the most comfortable way I have of explaining at it. And I think particularly if we've just met for the first time, it's usually the kind of thing, the kind of the door I open is like, listen, if you want to talk about this more that we can, uh, but I'm not necessarily out to make a statement with it. It is a private personal practice of which is, you know, obviously shows up in my day to day life. I mm-hmm. would hope to some degree, but, um, there are some nuances of that, of that over the last 10 years that have been really interesting, um, particularly with my sexual orientation, the way that the church has dealt with LGBTQ people in its past, um, mm-hmm. the way it's reconciling it now, the way I've had to deal with the heartache of that and mm-hmm. the the good parts of that and the bad parts of that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm speeding over <laughs> yeah. about 20 years of experience. It says, you know, I, I've still found a lot of meaning and um purpose in having in pursuing my life of faith and Mm. the the entrance in the space that that i understand that most is my native tongue and christianity Mm -hmm. uh but i'm i think there's a lot a lot to be said um for how much my theology has changed over the last 20 years the way that it continues to change and the way i continue to not necessarily wrestle, but I just don't take for granted um, that I've just—I'm not just simply participating in a faith system. So I am appeasing an angry God. Yeah, uh, it's a beautiful experience that that adds to the richness and the joy of my life, and is a mystery that I'm continually willing to participate and unravel. Awesome. Has there been some spiritual practices you've developed or might recommend to others you found meaningful? Uh, you know. I don't know if I feel guilty of saying that this is a spiritual practice, but uh, reading and contemplation are my big ones. Yeah, I mean, sure. I, Absolutely. I'm a huge reader, and I, I my participate... Uh, I, I kind of get a little bit frustrated because I'm not like an I'm not a big joiner and I'm not a big churchgoer. Mm-hmm. Yet at this but in lieu of that, I still have very vibrant conversations, both, you know, in my reading life and in my private life, you know, in my social life as well. So my spiritual practice is, you know, I, I spend a lot of time kind of writing and contemplating and that's kind of where I challenge my thoughts. Yeah. The things that I'm concerned about or the the needs that I have. Um and so it's a little bit untraditional in that sense of, you know, that Laura Ingalls Wilder get on your knees and pray before yeah, you go to yeah. bed every night. I don't really do that. Um that would be wildly disingenuous, but at the same time I somehow appreciate i always think about c.s lewis and what c.s lewis said about prayer right Mm -hmm. is that prayer isn't 
about me changing God. It's prayer changes me. Yeah. It, or to some paraphrase to that extent. Yeah. And I, so I think in spiritual practice, that's in the long term, whatever the activity is that I do, whether it's social or educational or contemplative or, or a spiritual act or a ritual, whatever those things are that I choose to do in that time are things that are about my transformation and and my growth not and i I realize that kind of sounds narcissistic and personal you know like i don't mean it that way Mm -hmm. necessarily because once you've gone down that track you realize it actually makes the world a brighter place so yeah it is in some sense trying to see the world the way god sees the world and if i don't understand that world i'm not necessarily trying to conform myself to seeing it that way but i'm trying to just continually do things like that so i don't know if that makes sense but um yeah it's not a dead thing for me mm-hmm. you know well, it's th- just i think Go one ahead. of the things that i'm most one of the things i really take remember from my time very conservative christianity is just the limiting on what was could be considered you know spiritual or religious in practice and you know um it, it, you know your your daily devotions had to be very much like you read this a section of scripture and you pray and you might read a some text and that that was that was spirituality really right and i'm just i'm grateful um that i've learned that there's more to it than that yeah i you know i've i've thought about this a lot recently because um i'm i'm working on a, a project where this is kind of the point like, oh. <laughs> like how do we and I, I don't really have any like finite answers. That's all to say is that there there is a curiosity to me that that I stumbled along. It's like, wow, how did I get to this space? And I realized that in my catechism, so to speak, and yeah. in my learning of Christianity, right, because I became a Christian, mm-hmm. um, people taught me how to what I was supposed to believe, yeah. how I was supposed to read the Bible, what I was supposed to think, but no one really actually taught me what it meant to have a spiritual life. Mm. And I, I don't mean good. that as, I don't mean that as a criticism, mm-hmm. but I mean that more as, you know, so where, you know, when I go backwards in our conversation a little bit, I go, what is my spiritual practice? And I'm like, well, you know, it's not like I get up every morning. I don't have these things like genuflection and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and ritual lighting of candles. And I, I think that is, I do those things maybe perhaps from time to time, mm-hmm. but I don't do them religiously. And so outside of religion, nobody taught me the qualities, I think, of what it meant means to be spiritual. And so that's, that's why when I, I talk about that, contemplation is a lot, a big component of that. Like how much time do I spend kind of just opening the door up to the mystery of God, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, instead of trying to f- define God. And I think that's the difference a little bit of where, where I'm coming at is that I, I recognize that in my religious experience, a lot of people spent time trying to teach me what I should think about God yeah. rather than exposing me to the possibility. And not to say that they weren't, I think a lot of us do this, but I, and I think that's part of a little bit of part of our deconstructionist period right now that a lot of people are going through is we're starting to realize that there's there's part of our own building of relationship um, that we need to be, we're desperate for those kinds of conversations. And 
and and and a, and a want and a willingness to basically just simply show up. And what does mm -hmm. it mean when I show up? Like, what do we talk about when we get together? <laughs> Is as opposed to you know, uh, one other example I, I've I've thought about in this regard is because in in the recent years I've been doing some workshops and mm -hmm. being asked to you know be an influencer yeah. I think to a certain degree and historically when when that happens or and you're you've had you know a pastoral experience <laughs> people expect you to come and teach right yeah, yeah. and so what happens is you get the microphone for an hour and you block out you know your bullet points of everything that people are supposed to think at the end of it mm -hmm. instead of doing something different like having a conversation that invites everybody into the room to share the collective wisdom to usher into the spirit um something in us that asks the question and leaves the question there and lights the candle literally yeah. for that question to burn within us as opposed to directing and telling people what that is supposed to be so it's really altering the way that i've i've talked about my faith the way that i even you know learn inside of my own faith am i sitting down to read something that somebody's trying to tell me what to think mm -hmm. or am i sitting down to read something that has exposed a, a viewpoint that i can then spend time trying to understand how did they how did that person get to that point uh what is that person seeing that i'm not seeing and those are the kinds of you know i, I think that's just kind of somewhat altering the the religious experience and the and the contemplative and the learning part of our growth um that that wasn't necessarily mentored to me in the past and and i think is is part of a great deal of interest that i, I have had in the last you know i think 10 15 years of, of trying to sort that out yeah i love what you're saying there i i mean i don't like it as a pastor who's so much of my job has is you know centered around like just talking to people and telling them i mean i wouldn't say telling them what to think but that's that's kind of what you expect like culturally what is expected of a pastor kind of the professional christian model and the model you're speaking of really is so much more communal and and uh whatever the word is our anti whatever the word is that's opposite of hierarchical i can't think right now <laughs> egalitarian <laughs> maybe right. right um yeah yeah well let, let's uh let or go ahead oh no i was gonna say it's 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 kind of a funny thing because in a weird way it's altered personally my my kind of view of church um where you know like i mentioned before i'm, I'm not a very good joiner mm. and i think part of one of the issues that i've had historically and personally mm -hmm. with joining is that it means that I'm, you're joining the group right and in order to be a part of the group you're assimilating into and believing as the group believes mm -hmm. as opposed to the collaborative experience that w one would think that we have in becoming a body yeah um that we're learning to work together in some sense that we're they're bringing our resources together that are um enlighten i don't enlightening is the wrong word but emboldening us i suppose hmm. or, or um giving us a, 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 
filling. <laughs> oh. I, I can't think of another word. Sure. Because there are, there are a lot of ways that there's a lot of language that we've used about learning on our spiritual growth, right? Mm -hmm. Like becoming strong in the Lord. <laughs> it's still, you know, I still see the baggage of that kind of hanging over our heads when, when becoming the body is not just about like strength and muscle and mass mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, but an ability to be able to move <laughs> freely with liberation, yeah. with joy, with benefit, um, unto the gifts that we have. And it's really, with that mindset, it's really kind of opened, even like to much to my surprise, a redemptive kind of experience that I've had in our collective mm -hmm. sharing of our faith, um, which is wildly different than the conquest yeah. of our faith. The te you know, the, the the teaching and the and the expectation that you will come out the other side in a particular way. There's so many beautiful images I'm coming to my mind when you when you're talking right there. Like, like I'm thinking of like, uh, is you know, is the gospel communal versus individual? And I I hear if I'm hearing you right, I hear that it's communal. It speaks to us in community. Um, I'm thinking from a kind of farcical image of like uh, fitness, like, you know, kind of the cliche is like this muscle bound dude. And you're saying, hey, it's so much more than that. Like it's someone who's flexible and, you know, nimble and and it's not just this cardboard cutout stereotype of, you know, religiosity. Yeah. I mean, I, l I love the, that you pointed out like the. Like this, the strange incongruity, I think, or cognitive uh -huh. dissonance, perhaps, that I've had over the the course of my spiritual life, where so much of it is private, right? Mm -hmm. It's a personal experience, and I I lean heavily and unapologetically on um, one of my favorite books of all time, Henry Nouwen's oh, Reaching yeah. Out. And every, I, I feel like anyone who's ever heard me talk, just like, oh, here she goes on Henry Nouwen again. <laughs> But there's there's a process. What I appreciate and that now one's helped me reconcile a little bit is how personal and private a spiritual experience is. Mm -hmm. That that it's you know in a lot of ways evangelical Christianity, which is couched having a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, I cringe every time I hear that. Yeah. And there, but there's something essentially right about that. Yeah. In that it if if you if you aim to have a spiritual life, it is about spiritual self-care. Mm -hmm. It is an intensely private, it is intensely personal, and you can go no further if you have, you know, uh, it, it's very difficult to proceed into the communal without having a, an, an incredibly good sense of self. Mm, um, yeah. And I don't mean... I don't mean in the confidence, right. necessarily pride way, yep. but a safe and self-determined and assured mm -hmm. sense of self. And that's a private practice. That takes a deliberateness. It's, it's about self-care, and it is centered around the self. And yet that's so contradictory yeah. <laughs> to many of the things that, that we have historically taught in Christianity. But what I will say about that, which is like the irony to me, is after I went through years of kind of getting to this place of not no longer feeling like I had to be in defense mm -hmm. of my spiritual life, mm, that yeah. it is what it is, and that God sees me and accepts me, and that I'm on a journey. 
getting to that place of confidence with a little C <laughs> assuredness mm -hmm. uh, or stability. I don't, I don't, I'm not content with any of these words that I'm using, but somehow in that, if I'm not in a defensive position, what I've found is that I am now able to rejoin the word, the word, the, the communal part of that. Wow. Um, the community isn't threatening to me anymore. Huh. I'm serving it. I'm being with it. I'm, I'm excited about what's happened in my private space, so I'm ready to exit out. I don't need the rest of this, the world to fulfill something that I know and I have confidence can be cared for in other ways when the world does fail or when other relationships fail. And Henry Nouwen talks about this, this way that we care for ourselves and in that caring and once we're healed and able to journey out from time to time that we begin to to move away from this hostility into hospitality so it's not it's a strange thing that we've kind of skipped over and we've been so historically self-deprecating mm -hmm. that we have limited our ability we're, we're so bruised and battered yeah. in ourselves that we don't want to be seen by others we don't want to participate with others because others become threatening so in healing that i think is part of the process and and that's a long way of saying that in the long run i'm i i'm finding that those relationships are even with my faith community of disagreement are are a little bit more safer when i'm not feeling like i have to be defending myself from wow them. um and that somehow in that, somehow in that we have to be able to kind of find a way to reconcile because in that way, when I have, when I know that I have wisdom to share, that I'm able to have a space to be able to share that wisdom and encourage other people to take that wisdom, run with it and never look back at me or give me credit for it. Or, you know, I don't need them to care for me after mm -hmm. I've given something away. Um, I don't know if any of that makes sense. It's a bit it's, muddled. No, but... it's it's awesome. Like we're twenty five minutes into this, we were way off topic, and I'm like, this is great. <laughs> this Sorry. is great stuff. I have a tendency to do no, that. No, this is great. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm like I'm just kind of like absorbing your your points here about, and I'm thinking about like how true that is of like so much of the Christianity I grew up in at least was the same way of this this self deprecating, self demeaning. Um, and it's so beautiful that other way you speak about it of being like taking care of yourself, knowing, cause that's, that's what it is. Like I study, I'm not sure if you studied this when you were in, uh, Vanderbilt, which we'll talk about here soon, <laughs> uh, family systems theory, which is something I've studied a lot and the idea of a differentiated self. And so much of that is like knowing who you are. Cause when you know who you are and where, you know, what is you and where your boundaries are like you can listen to somebody else's perspective and it doesn't like it doesn't just shake you so much um so this is good stuff yeah it's uh, you know that, that that's my i appreciate that from like that my undergrad experience as a psychology major mm. i mean i've i've been really fascinated the way our minds work and and where we get our our confidence so to to a certain degree it's I don't, yeah, I, I, it's, it's something I think that has challenged our religious conversation. Um, and yeah. it certainly, you know, and I'm aware as we sit here and talk about this, that it challenges like theology. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. like 
foundational theology. Like, yep. I know a lot of, I've been really nervous to talk about this for many years. It's okay. About, you can talk about it here. It's safe. <laughs> about my frustration with substitutional atonement. Yeah. And for those who are, are, are not aware, the my crib notes on substitutional atonement is you're a piece of crap. Yeah. Which yeah. is why Jesus <laughs> had to die. Like, you are so bad. So bad. That a, a, a sacrifice yep. of godly proportions mm -hmm. had to be made for you. And, you know, I realized that one of the implications of what we're, we're, what I'm talking about and suggesting, which is the spiritual practice of, of answering the question, who am I that God is mindful of me? Mm. That for me, that's that's the that that's for me. If you had to whittle down, what is my life project? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is that is it. it. Kind of in its a basic sense is, I'm trying, and I think early on in my in my religious experience, that was the one that fascinated me the most. It's mm -hmm. like, why is God even? Wh why do I sense that God is speaking to me? why do I care? Like, why does this even matter? Like, why do I want it? Why can I not look away? <laughs> mm -hmm. Why can I not run away? Like, I don't, you know, for the days that you kind of want to hear more and the other days you want to hear nothing. <laughs> why do well, I, why is this still fascinating me? Answering that question, who is it that, that God is mindful of me? And it's, I'll, I'll get to my point here in a second. <laughs> it's just that in answering that question, I never once sensed and I haven't to this day found any adequate resonance with the idea that I, I started from a negative place. Mm. And I, that, that, puts, that puts thousands of years of substitutional atonement yeah. on its head. Yep. And it's really terrifying as a modern person to go, am I doing something wrong here by saying, God loves me, why am I having a hard time standing up for the, the person that God loves? And why is it that I need to be put in a negative position where if if we were created, we were created good? Like, why is that such a revolutionary conversation? Because we're so afraid that if we have any sense of confidence in ourselves that we're going to become gods. And mm. I, I, that's part of it, right? Yeah, you, yeah. That we're too prideful that we don't think that we need God. And there's something about that spiritual process that that we've missed out on being able to practice what happens if we start from a place of of goodness and as an lgbtq person you can imagine yeah. that has profound implications um to starting from a place that you know in my sexual orientation that i need to be redeemed mm -hmm. in some way yeah. and I, I think we're i think as time moves ahead I'm particularly excited about the the offerings that the LGBTQ community have had in their spiritual process of being able to show that there may be something a little bit amiss with this idea that 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 God is only interested in our rescue. Yeah. That God had somehow failed or we had failed God and mm -hmm. somehow in, in some drastic way that required um not a, not not just a revelation, but uh, a sacrifice. Um, and it's, you know, it's heavy. It's with a heavy heart that I, I contemplate that to this day. Yeah. So I, I mentioned earlier, you spent some time at Vanderbilt, uh, which I love because I've, I've invested way too much in my life to theological education. <laughs> Is there a, I imagine you studied the, study this stuff. Is there a, and this might, you know, this might be new to some of our listeners because I'm sure you feel the same way. Like so much Christianity, like substitutionary atonement, like is it for Christianity for so much, so many people? Um, is, is there like a soteriological uh, salvation model 
uh, or theology that resonates more with you now? You know, to be honest, look, my education didn't involve going through all the models. Oh. Um, it, so the when I just when like when my mother asked why did you go to diff school yeah. or what did you learn, yeah. what I usually say is what I got out of that education was uh, not the answers but the toolkit to, to be able questions. to de- yeah. to be able to ask questions yep. and to develop responsibly um, my own responses to those questions. So when and you know if ever I'm in doubt or there's something that I want to push against, I have a tool set and at least an academy that has a respect for that there's a right, I don't know if a right way, but there is a way that there's an investment in my own mm-hmm. exp- experience in education that says I'm not just I'm not just here to tear this down. Yep. I'm here to be able to be constructively crit- critical and hopefully, you know, liberating in the way that we approach God. So it's mostly about the toolkit. So, um, you know, you're talking about all the years of school that you've had. You know, I've had, you know, only a couple of, you know, 10, you know, 20 years of reading mm-hmm. and 10 years of getting organized in what my skill set yeah. is going to be. So, um, now you know now that i understand substitutional atonement what my role is and it's a lifelong journey i don't think you can learn in four years of school sure is you know how how am i going how am i how am i going to journey with this and how am i going to, how am i going to be a collaborator collaborator in a community of people who are now openly discussing what we mean when we're going well how are we going to approach substitutional uh, atonement theory um, or whatever the next, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the other atonement theories are. Yep. Um, I, I've, you know, I can tell you I've spent weeks reading through different versions of them. This is the one I'm picking on right now. Yeah. Um, and I'd have to go back and go, okay, well, th- which one do I want to pick from? Or where, which one of these will, well, the funny thing that I find with my education in div school is that you know, I think historically as Christians, right, you're a Baptist or a mm-hmm. Presbyterian, a Lutheran, an evangelical. And because I've not necessarily been patriotic to any one particular school of thought, I find that there are little little and amazing things mm. all the way across the board yeah. that resonates. Yeah. And so that's made me actually a little bit more, for better or for worse, even less patriotic than I oh. used to be. <laughs> Um, and in some ways, a little bit kinder to people who, who like, I don't know, like Baptists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just picking. We can trash Baptists on them. I used the to be Baptist. We can hit, hit on them all day. <laughs> yeah, you know, the you know, obviously, substitutional atonement is a, a big deal in in the Baptist tenet, mm-hmm. and I don't want to necessarily take that away from anybody. And that's kind of the thing. Like, I realize if I'm deconstructing something, I'm unhinging somebody else's experience yeah. and their religious yeah. experience, and but what I've learned is like by reading other people's experience, when I'm feeling unhinged somewhere else, theologically, somebody else has contributed a school of thought mm. um, that I can lean into and learn from and go, well, what are the, what is, you know, what is an element that, you know, uh, I'm thinking like one of the, one of the most frustrating pieces of work I read was a uh, a work by Niebuhr. Okay. Um, or sorry. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was Niebuhr, yeah, Reinhold Niebuhr, mm-hmm. and he was he was going. It was a world a post uh, mid mid World War Two, I mm-hmm. think, document, and he was going against pacifists, and he was r- railing against this idea that pacifism was just absolute pacifism mm-hmm. was a, a dangerous and terrible thing, and that in that 
pacifism where his argument was that we're ignoring true evil and that we're not doing enough to cessate mm. evil. Yeah. And I, and I, I found that article so uncomfortable hmm. because I, I, I'm not, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a person who seeks peace yeah. and, and I'm very uncomfortable with the idea that if that, personally what happens when violence begets more violence yeah. like when does it when does violence end yeah and i'm not convinced it's so weird to read you know a, a giant like neighbor and go i'm not sure when violence ends if we keep doing it yeah um but in reading that article it's like it he made me think about the consequences of where i'm at that i'm just not going to sit here and say this is where i'm at because pacifism feels good to me mm -hmm. that i'm going to go what what are the merits of where i'm at what's the long-term story and I, I think that's if if there's anything that i got out of my divinity school experience it's the long story of the theologies that we are when we begin to talk about them, we begin to share them, when we get, begin to work them out, will they be so inflexible that we're you know, only creating dogma and doctrine that cannot move with our situation? Mm -hmm. um, you know, or that we, we're so adamant about our own, the sound of our own voice that we're not capable of hearing the true warnings that are coming to us from others. Mm. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, I, I realize I've started rambling here a bit, but... I mean, that's, that's a part of it that, you know, as, as far as being, getting an education about that, I think in a lot of ways, we all have an access to that, but not just, um, I think there's a responsibility that it, even in the things that we are taught, even though there's a consistency to some of these things, we still have to be able to, to, to be able to kind of evaluate them in some sense of our our own experience mm -hmm. they need to yeah. be able to hold true and we need to be able to understand them otherwise we're just repeating something that we don't really know yeah um and uh, there's a lot of the, and the, that that kind of goes circles back around to the kind of assurance assurance isn't about i'm confident that i know the right answer yeah it's knowing that whatever happens next i'll be prepared for <laughs> that's wow that's all you get I, I don't like it, but it's so good. What, <laughs> you mean you don't like it? It's like I'm going to get the, the my head on a pike soon. No, yeah. Well, I mean, I think I'll just someone uh, speak as someone who like uh, insecurity is hard for me. Um, but I think your way of you know, like it's it's such a more beautiful way of thinking about it. Yeah, I don't know if it's more beautiful. It is a way. I'll, I'll take I'll take it as a way. Um, it's because I, I I still even have problems. With, <laughs> we should have problems with our own theology. Yeah, that's it's good. <laughs> you know, where I'm at today is you know again I still I still right now I've I've def in recent years I've been definitely dealing with my own insecurities about the stronger positions that I've had, which seems yeah. ironic. Um, but I'm, the thing that I won't give up on, I think, is the hope that the endeavors that we do this and why we do these things is that it moves toward a good, a benevolence, um, mm -hmm. something that is beneficial to us. And 
not in terms of prosperity, I don't know that, but in terms of growth, <laughs> in terms mm -hmm. of peaceableness and, and there, there's something, I think there's something even in our own experiences sometimes that we, when we, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about spiritual life, um, that's disconcerting to has always been disconcerting that happiness is the same thing as certainty that mm. that comfort brings happiness mm. um yeah we can we can have happiness in the midst of discomfort we can have we can have hope yeah. in the midst of calamity and that's that's the challenge of our time even i think is even even you know it's a concept even in the midst of our you know polarized polarized world yep. in the midst of white supremacy you know yeah. how how do i how do we live with these things the truth that i am white and i'm a participant and I'm not necessarily an active or willing participant in white supremacy, but even the willingness right. to be able to acknowledge yeah. that this is even a possibility is an example of being able to live with that discomfort and going, how do I want to lean into that and acknowledge that? And how can, how can that as an example be something that I can move towards being a further part of this body, right? How am I stop being mm. in defense of my own position and, and yeah. bring the best of who we are to the fullness of who we are collectively. Um, it's, it's, it's wild. It blows my mind how just the little things turn out to be really big. <laughs> hmm. I'm just thinking about, uh, as we're recording this for our listeners, we're what, 10 days into November. We're still kind of in the midst of the election stuff. Um, COVID is certainly going nuts and I, I'm just kind of struck by your words about finding like being able to find hope and peace and discomfort and you know that everything doesn't have to be going perfectly for us to have you know a moment of of goodness and that you know and I think of I think of neighbor you know mm -hmm. I'm always reminded that that it's not saying that I'm content with discomfort mm -hmm. <laughs> that doesn't mean that I'm just, I'm content with evil. Um, but what does that mean? What does that mean in terms of, or seriously, what does that mean? Yeah. What, what course of action happens in my disconnect, discontent? Um, these are, these are questions that, that don't see that we will. I don't know that we've ever ceased to yeah. ask them, but in, in a, I think what I'm sympathetic about is, is that this isn't just a divinity school question anymore. Yeah. This isn't just a higher education experience. I think in the past, you know, I, I, I was kind of talking with my partner about this the other day. It's like, you know, it's really interesting to me because a lot of the issues that are coming to the fore and the, a lot of, a lot of the dialogues that we're having are not just philosophical you know it used to be if you wanted to be a philosophy right. or a theological major you would go to university mm -hmm. and that would be the only place you would see it and find it yeah i mean i remember 20 years ago when and and i didn't realize this it was my dean at vanderbilt who encouraged me actually to 
to take the leap and go get my degree or at least spend some time mm -hmm. in, in, in an academic environment, I didn't realize how much reading I'd done over the last, you know, in my life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that the, the, the theologians that I were reading were of huge merit. Mm, interesting. <laughs> um, I just, I, you know, like, who's this Augustine? And yeah. I wanted to know, yeah. and I wanted to know the history of this. And why did the Reformation, like all these things I'd done for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. So I'd kind of somewhat given myself an undergraduate education in religion by accident. And I'm going to tell you like 20, you know, 20 years ago, getting my hands on that kind of material and that kind of, those kinds of books were not easy to do. Yeah. Now they're, now they're Everywhere. ubiquitous. Yeah. And not only that, um, you know, authors are writing about this regularly in a sense. Yeah. So the education is coming to us because the issues are coming to us and they're big issues and they're issues that are becoming less and less, more and more terrifying if we simply think we'll just pray it away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they need action. They need knowledgeable, mm -hmm. they need skill. <laughs> It's none of these things are just going, you know, none of the issues that I think most of us are, are kind of talking about right now necessarily go away with without some concerted effort. And I, I think much to the credit of spiritual communities, the demand for that's gotten a lot higher. Yeah. Um, I, maybe you can speak to that as a pastor. I mean, I don't I wouldn't be a pastor right now <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> um, it's changed so much. Right. You've got yeah. a, a community of folks who just who want church to not have to be as like I was talking to one of my pastoral friends and I was like, why don't we teach these? Like I didn't understand why we didn't talk about how to process theologically right. in my church is growing up. And one of my, one of my pastor friends who uh, had said, because I can't, if I do that, my church will be mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> they, they want to come in and they want their Sunday to be, yep. to be predictable mm -hmm. and not testing and not challenging their, the way that they think about the world. And he didn't say that. I, 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 I don't say, he didn't say that with any kind of mean spirited at all. He's like, seriously, you should see the, un, it's not unrest, like the, the, the fear mm, and yeah. the anxiety yeah. and he's like what we're doing right now we're 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 moving in the way that we we can but it's a it's a real challenge the world feels like it's catching yeah. up really quickly to some folks um and so yeah it was really interesting like so i'm i'm curious like if that's a pressure that you felt in recent years where social justice for an example is now almost an expectation of any good sermon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I've... Uh, the church I'm in now is definitely more progressive-leaning, but I've served in churches uh, that are very, you know, middle ground or even right-leaning, and it's a challenge for sure. I remember I remember walking in after the 2016 election and, you know, with meeting with my board, and they were like, oh, thank God for those evangelicals voting for Trump. And I'm just like... Mm you know, how do you, how do you, where do you we'll even, see how this goes. where do you start with that, you know? Um, and for me, um, I'm trying to think, I remember like just, I remember one, uh, I think it was after the, the 
when, when was the Pulse nightclub shooting? Was that 2015, 2016, or am I thinking of something else? Uh, maybe 18. Okay, so it must have been 17 or 18. It must have been something before that that was uh, LGBTQ related. But I remember like just one message giving to my church being like, hey, we need to listen. Like, that's all I'm asking you to do. Just listen. Like, let's start with that. Just listen to LGBTQ voices, listen to African-American voices. Because uh, I think that was after Ferguson. Because Ferguson was 14, if I remember correctly, Michael Brown. Uh, and that was that was kind of my strategy. Say, like, let, let's just listen. Like, let's just start with that. I'm not asking you to change your mind. Like, just listen. Um, yeah, I love that. Uh, one of my... It's been resonating in my ears recently. Uh, uh, a friend of mine who's doing... Uh, LGBTQ ministry here in Nashville. Um, it's, it's weird. It, it, anyway, she, one of the things she says is like, what do you need and how can I help? Mm. It's not like the, <laughs> the, the, the whole point of the ministry that, that she's doing is not teaching mm -hmm. how, everybody how to be a better Christian. Yeah. Uh, Although, you know, I think there, there are certainly calls for that in, in some of the, that's one of yeah. many of her, you know, responsibilities and roles. But I'm, I'm, I was, I've been so struck by that. Like, it's, it's just such a simple way to start. Like, what do you need? And how can I help you? Not, what do you need? Let me see if you really need yeah. that. Let me see if there's a justification and then a willingness to get the resources, you know, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. It's what do you need? Because mm -hmm. think about what that means when you've ever been asked, what do you need? Yeah. Seriously. Like, have you ever been in need? Like, I, I can think of the times that I've been in need and when I've asked for help. Mm -hmm. And and what it means when somebody says, no, seriously, what do you need? Yeah. And to say that out loud and for somebody to say anything other to for somebody to say, what can I do to help? Mm -hmm. Says, you tell me, <laughs> you tell me what will best help you now. Not me telling you, okay, great. I know what you need. And now let me tell you how you're going to feel better. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the self-determination part of that, the dignity and the self-respect involved in that. That is a huge thing that I... Don Bennett, her name, her name, she's worth the, the she's, I, it's worthy of me saying her name mm -hmm. and giving her credit for that. But I think about that most every day. I think about that in conversations with my partner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, what do you need yeah. and how can I help? And that just, even on that fundamental level in one relationship makes me tell me to like, I, I talk so much bullshit when I'm in a fight with somebody who's just, you know, fighting with me and I think I'm just in a fight and then it turns out like that person across from me is fighting for something. Mm -hmm. What is that for something they are fighting for? And so that listening part of it, and then this is particularly, you know, as an LGBTQ person inside a faith community, mm -hmm. um, it's not about the justification. That's where I get offended a lot of time. Like, how do you reconcile your homosexuality mm -hmm. in the Bible? Like, pff, I don't <laughs> Let me, you know, it's sort of like God said, what do you need hmm. and what can I do to help? And I feel like the gospel does that for us time and again, 
um, the gospel, the good news on yeah. its best day, when it is the good news, has been God saying to us, I see you and I'm, I will be here to help. <laughs> and I think that's, I don't know. I, I think that's, that's one way of saying it, but before I get off my soapbox about this particular thing is that it's not just listening because the real point is the action mm. that comes after that. Sure. So what I will, when you ask the question, what's going on mm -hmm. and I will be here and be responsible to help that go better. I will partner with you. And that's, that to me, I think is the, if, if I had a critique right now of where we are in terms of progressive Christianity, mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot more, I think the tensions have released a bit, you know, it's not as quite, you know, for every new ally, you know, controversial ally that comes yeah. out of the LGBTQ community as an example, um, you know, it's no longer gaining the headlines. Oh, so-and-so said something that sounded just a hint, a whisper yeah, of right. pro-gay. Yeah. Um, that's not necessarily as, as problematic as it used to be. Mm -hmm. But the apology, we're past the apology point now. And it's like, for the LGBTQ community, what is the LGBT? If you really want to be the church, the LGBTQ community, then it's time to start looking at the theology and serving our community and, and serving the needs of our community. And um, that's those are the things and that happens you know on a, on a systematic level mm -hmm. um through you know listening to uh, you know the racial divide in america mm -hmm. to the our sexual gender and identity politics and f keep going you know when we we have to listen but we also in our listening have to be prepared to act and that's that's a big deal because people see through you <laughs> so fast um because the need is real and to be able to respond to that need, prepared to serve, I think is is the challenge for any of us, whether you know whether we're we're Christian or otherwise. Well, this is this is great. Um, this has been wonderful. So we've you know we've completely gone off topic, but I'm just I haven't asked you like anything music. I think so. I almost like feel bad. <laughs> That's all right. What do you want to well, know? Uh, one four five four one. <laughs> First chorus, first chorus, bridge, yeah. chorus out. There we go. <laughs> we got it in. All right, let's take a let's take a quick pause and uh, we'll come back with some closing questions. Hi there. My name is Brian Davis, and I'm the host of the podcast Chasing Sunday, a show that talks to worship leaders and other church creatives about the pain, frustration, and joys they face as they work in the relentless world of producing art for churches 52 Sundays a year. It's a show about burning out and Burning Bright. Together we talk about how we can find a healthier and more creative alternative to chasing Sunday after Sunday. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All right, we're back with the Jennifer Knapp. And uh, you can take these closing questions I tell folks as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, so if you're Pope for a day, uh, what's that day going to be like for you? Oh my goodness. What would I do if I were Pope for a day? Uh, I think it would be fun to drive around in the Pope mobile. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, I think I'd go for a spin in the Pope mobile and just see what's happening down around downtown Rome. Love it. 
what theologian or historical Christian figure would you want to meet or bring back to life? Ooh. Uh, weirdly, I think of two guys. I, I, I think of Paul okay. and Augustine. Oh. I just, I, I don't know that I want to meet uh, Augustine, uh-huh. Augustine. Yeah. Uh, but I want to see a day in the life of this guy. I'd, I really, <laughs> like both those guys, I'd like just love to see a day in the life. But I would I would have genuinely loved, I would genuinely be curious about um, Paul's journey mm-hmm. and the, the, the bridging of the gap experience that he had between the Jewish and the Gentile community. It's fascinating to me. A lot of things came out of it that were kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, those are some two pretty like old school yeah, things that yeah. I'd be curious about. What do you think history will remember this current time and place for? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. All I can think about is the kind of the the political side of it, mm-hmm. but I think there's I think where I think if I were to sum it up, there's a reckoning, a globalization reckoning for how big is big, mm. and 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 what do we share and how do we share it? Um, I think I I think that's I don't know that it's necessarily new. I think we've kind of always fought war over resources and who's in power and who's in control. I don't think there's anything uniquely new about it. It's just globalized now. It's it's bigger. It's not just in a neighborhood or in a community or over a border. We're now doing it across the globe. And how we come out of this, um, I I don't know, but... I think we'll definitely talk about this this time as an epoch that that forebodes mm. or is a harbinger yeah, of some yeah. kind to what comes next. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I, I used to ask people like, "What do you see as a future Christianity?" But I've kind of changed that. Like, what do you hope for if you could hope for something for the future of Christianity? I hope for its relevance Mm. and in that relevance to bring a genuine wisdom that has the ability to not own wisdom. Wow. That's a pretty good answer. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> um, we didn't talk at all about your uh, Inside Out Faith organization. So close us off saying with if you want to give a spiel on that or talk about where people can find out more about you, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so InsideOutFaith.org is basically just the advocacy side of what I do. Um, so LGBTQ faith. Um, I'm basically going out, hanging out at churches, uh, participating sometimes outside of faith community. So occasionally in corporate environments, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just being one of the many partners that are, are helping bring a voice to affirmative, uh, LGBTQ spirituality. Um, any, you know, 
that's kind of the easiest way to say it. So, you know, it's, it's not necessarily an organized campaign where, you know, we're not having, I you know, don't have any like specific programs that we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just basically trying to here and there put in resources like the, I've done anything from showing up to nevertheless, she preached and, and kind of appearing in those faith based spaces as a representative of LGBTQ advocacy. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of it, the other day, we just donated a bunch of clothes hangers to a, a trans, uh, a trans, uh, clothing house, awesome. uh, as a donation basically. So for people who are transitioning, clothing is actually a big deal. Mm-hmm. So if you're curious about those guys, I think it's a table.org, um, Google Nashville and the table and Don Bennett, and they're, they're doing a bunch of work like that. So, you know, just weird ways that we're kind of contributing to, um, the faith community and the resources of LGBTQ people, um, with a mind for their, their health and growth spiritually. Awesome. Awesome. Well, jennifernapp.com, your website, and I'm, you're active on all the Twitter and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, well, so jennifernapp.com is a way, you know, to see all the things that we do, uh, Twitter happens occasionally, <laughs> uh, Facebook. But uh, the thing I'm most excited about right now is we've recently recently launched a Patreon. Oh, okay. So yeah. for those for those of you who aren't familiar with Patreon, it's basically like a it's a community of people who are basically like showing up every month. I do live concerts online every mm-hmm. month, of which to you know at a certain level you have an access to that every month. So uh, we're doing. Uh, I do bunches of blogs and videos, but check out uh, patreon.com forward slash Jennifer Knapp. Um, that's any, that's a basic, basically a way to be our supportive community. And it's particularly important to me right now as, cause, uh, in the last year we've in, in the, probably the next six to eight months, it's unlikely that we'll be yeah. able to live tour. So it's a way of us staying interactive and online and basically touring. I'm doing yeah. just tons of online stuff. So check that out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this conversation and just your, your thoughts. It's been really, a, really awesome. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having uh, me. Peace be with you. And also with you. (laughs) Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. But hey, before you go, do us a favor. Subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people. Thanks, and go in peace.